Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Well, good morning, bravest of the brave of America. How are you today? Okay, great. Uh, we're getting there. Every, I feel like every week it's either we're really excited or we're just not at all. Um, but that's okay. We're going to get through this. So, hey, my name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here at Trailside. We're excited that you guys are here this morning. Um, and to those of us watching on the live stream, hello. We still love you. Uh, we totally get it. Um, like my mom. So, everyone, if you want to say hi to Kathy, you can run by the booth later. Uh, she's watching live. So, hey, let me pray for us real quick, and we will dive right into Psalm 23. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. You're good. Uh, you're better than good. You're great. And you're in control of all things. Uh, Father, this scare, this uh, pandemic, this, this thing that is taking lives, but this thing that is also uh, scaring a lot of people and causing us to buy crazy amounts of toilet paper um, is still under your control and in your hand. And so we pray that you would uh, allow us to be good sheep and follow the good shepherd that you would use your word uh, here this morning to um, correct our hearts and to uh, take what is uh, in, in it that needs to be out of it out and replace it with your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. Uh, Lord, we pray for our, our country. We pray for the world at large. Um, we pray for people who are dealing with hurt and grief and loss and fear um, from this, uh, this terrible disease that has uh, just paralyzed our entire world. Um, but Lord, I pray that it would, instead of driving us to fear, drive, it, drive us to you. Um, that we would recognize your control. We love you, and we thank you, God, for you are good in all things, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So I uh, started my ministry career as a student pastor. If you want to turn to Psalm 23, by the way, that's where we'll be this morning. Started my career as a student pastor. Um, I was doing that for a long time, and I really thought I was going to do that forever. But one cool thing that we had the opportunity to do when I was in Charleston is uh, I had a friend of mine who was much more adventurous than I was, which is pretty much anyone who I meet. Um, especially when it comes to the outdoors. If you guys are, if it's your first time here, your second or third, you might not know. I have a hate, hate relationship with the outdoors, which is why the Lord saw fit to move me to Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, um, in the middle of the hills, uh, right in the, in the, with all the beautiful places to hike and go jump in rivers and a plethora of lakes within an hour's drive. Even have my parents, I had bought, bought a lake house for a while, which is great. I like to sit inside. Um, and look at it. It was really pretty. Uh, but my, my buddy, uh, Robbie, um, loves and loved going whitewater rafting. Anyone love whitewater rafting? Some of you guys are crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, he would take his group every year. He had about, I don't know, 80 students or so, and so uh, he would bring a little group with us as well, and he's like, hey, do you want to go whitewater rafting? I said, no, not at all. Um, Zero percent chance. And he said, no, no, you should go. And uh, so I said, fine. So we went. And um, I learned, now I'd gone when I was like 12, but I learned as an adult, when you go whitewater rafting, it's a little different, right? Like the, the fear is maybe a little more real because you realize that if you die, you've lived all of your life. Um, when you're 12, you're kind of like, oh, I'll get hit by a tree, drown, get back up, I'll be fine because you've watched too much Rescue 911 back in the day. But, um, but yeah, we, we get there and they do their best job to terrify you. Like that, the first thing they do is they want to scare you. I don't know if it's scare you into listening or scare you into, I don't know what it is. But I, I remember we got there, and the guy did one thing that I would never do to a group of high school students. He said, who wants to go down the river without a guide? And my heart, you know, jumps because I'm responsible 
partly responsible for these hundred or so students. And I'm thinking, well, if I put the five I really don't like in one raft. <laughs> Just kidding. Kind of. But, um, but, but they said that you, you can either... You can either have a guide or you can go by yourself, which meant that you can go with someone who knows what they're doing or um, you can just go get thrown out of the raft and float down forever by yourself. That's kind of how I understood uh, those two things to be because here's the deal with guides, that he knew every single turn. Like, to be a guide on a river, it, it's kind of a big deal. You actually have to know the river like your backhand. You have to know different little depths and places where boats can get caught and where people can drown. And So what they did was they go and they tell you all of these horrible dangers and ways you can die, right? Which is great for me, um, somebody who loves anxiety anyhow. Uh, but they tell you as well, they tell you, hey, hold your paddle like this, right? You got the little T-bar. Because if you don't hold your paddle, what can happen? You can, anyone know? Knock your teeth out. Knock your teeth out. Yeah, exactly. So you knock your teeth out. So I'm like, great. Sign me up. I'm already in. I could die or have my teeth knocked out. Um, or they say, you know, be careful and hold it this way because if you just start swinging it, you could, uh, you know, cut someone's arm off because those things are sharp. I'm like, okay, great. So I can die. Uh, I can have my mouth knocked out or I could, you know, lose a limb. And I'm around a bunch of teenagers, FYI. Teenagers, I love you. I do. Maybe you guys could be a little more careful and thoughtful with how you do things, right? Um, I have have an eight-week-old baby who's awesome. He's here today. And it's fun to watch him kind of learn how to use his arms and legs because he just kind of does this all the time, you know, like the baby thing. And I think that's how teenagers, when they get on the river, do it. They just kind of do this, and you hope for the best. And uh, so I was in in a boat with them. Um, But my personal favorite, the number one thing he told me that really got me excited is he said, hey, if you go by a tree, make sure you don't like yank the branch because snakes can fall in. (laughs) This is the point where I knew I was stuck and I had to face my fear. I want you to know uh, we will never be a church of snakes, not just because that's weird, but also because if a snake comes out, I'm out. I'm gone. Like, peace. It's been great being here. I, literally, if you could see my arms, I have chills right now because I just don't like them at all. Um, my, wife, my wife married me for my bravery. Um, yeah. Or how about this one? If you fall out, put your feet first and someone will, here's a key word, try and save you. I don't ever want to pay for anything that someone has to try and save me in. Right? Like, I want to be secure. I'm the seatbelt guy. I'm like, when I get in the car, seatbelt's on. I want to be safe. If someone has to try and save me, I don't want to be in that opportunity. Like, that's not something Sean's got is going to sign the line for. Um, there you go. And in fact, the other thing I loved was when you get in there, the guides, as you're on the raft, would always show you, like, oh, that's where people can drown, right? And there's, oh, that's a, stay away from that part because you want to steer over here because we lost three uh, college guys two years ago who died in there. And, and so you're thinking, like, this is not a good opportunity. This is not safe for me. I don't, I don't want to do this. Then came the fun part. A group of high school students went to my friend Robbie and I and said, hey, we want you to be in a raft as our guides. And I thought... A stupider thing has never been said. It's like, this is the, the most terrible idea of terrible ideas. Don't do that. It's a bad news. Um, so, no, we said no. Um, I'm not that adventurous. We went with the guide. And we got to the end of the river. And if you've been before, you know they kind of save you know, the, the end of the river for like one big last hurrah to get you really excited, right? 
And at the end of the river, our guide told us, because he knew, that there was a six-foot waterfall drop-off, like five and a half, six feet. Now, when you're with a guide, you're like, okay, this is going to be fun. You know, it might get wet, might fall out. But for the students that were in front of us, they had no idea. So we saw them bouncing around, bouncing around. And then as they saw the waterfall, you could see them panic and like their eyes get real big and scared because they knew they were about to die. Like that was the end of all things. <laughs> and, and as the boat went over, we just saw the last one, the last kid kind of do this and look back at us, like asking for help. <laughs> asking for help. And we went over the waterfall and we were fine because we had a guide. And as we looked, all we saw was an empty boat and paddles that had been flung everywhere and a bunch of teenage guys screaming at each other. And I thought, this is why you need a God. And in that moment, I felt like the Lord spoke to me about something. He said, um, if, if there's a guide, always go with the guide. Always go with the guide. Uh, that was the end of my really incredible uh, whitewater rafting career. Um, haven't gone since because I'm not crazy and I want to live a long time. Um, but... I, I think we can learn a valuable lesson in that as we turn to Psalm 23 today, and that's if you have the opportunity to go with a God, go with a God. You're not created to just go in adventures and do them alone. It might be fun for a minute. You might think, wow, how exciting. But if I've learned anything from the coronavirus, it's that as we get really excited and adventurous, we lose things like toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Because You know why? Because we, we freak out. We get anxious. We get terrified. And so if you'll go with me to Psalm 23, I'm going to start reading in one. Not Psalm 1, don't worry, we're not that kind of church. I love context, but not that much. Psalm 23, verse 1, and uh, if you're a part of our church regularly, want you to know, again, we're challenging you to memorize this with us. It's only six verses, and so I believe in you um, that you can memorize six verses, but this is where it starts. The Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. Oh, now I forgot it. Crap. Here we go. Sorry. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his... No, I'm wrong. Goodness. Back up. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And then today's verse, he restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And continuing on, my favorite verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all of my days, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So today we're focusing on that third verse that says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's a really important part we'll get to at the end there, but he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Something we kind of miss uh, in the church today. But the first, he restores my soul. It's a great thought, right? Restoration, hope, peace, getting rid, really kind of getting rid of all the stuff that gets in the way. If you actually go and look at the Hebrew, Hebrew is a really crazy language, and if you want to learn it, have fun. It is not, not, the, not the easiest thing to learn. 
But in the Hebrew, the way it's written, it actually says, my soul he restores. The, the focus is first on the soul. My soul he restores. And, and the soul, when he talks about this, and when it's used throughout the Bible, what, what it actually is kind of trying to get us to the point of, he's saying the, the desire of my self-purpose, the innermost part of who he is. So, so David, when he's writing, he says that the innermost piece of who I am, everything that I live for, everything that I am, God restores, the shepherd restores. Every bit of who you are, everything that makes you you, every personality, every fear, every insecurity, every hope, every dream, every bit of who you are, God, or the good shepherd, consistently restores and makes new. And if you actually look at the word restores, because I got into my Hebrew, it was fun. The word is shub. Hebrew is kind of fun to say. Let's say let's all say it together on three. Shub. One, two, three. Shub. Shub. Now, I'm, I'm going to learn Hebrew just so I can like, uh, make fun of people behind their backs and say things like shub. I think that sounds fun. Um, that was a joke. Anyways. But here's what shub means or restores, restoration. It, it means to turn back from and to become what once was. To turn back from and to become what once was. Listen, the entire scripture, the, the entire love story that God gives us in scripture is that very thing. It's a story of redemption, of restoration, of, of that when this is over, everything will be made right as God intended. The way we screwed it up will no longer be the reality of what you deal with. That God is shubing us and this life and everything in it. He is restoring it. That, that everything that you want to feel and think about the world will be true again when God restores it back to what it is. But it begins with our souls, with ourselves. That's a good thought. Especially right now, right? The world is really peaceful right now, isn't it? Especially America, right? Yeah? You guys may have heard there's an election coming up. I love to make fun of politics. People don't know where I stand, and I like that way, because I just like to make fun of all politics. All people, all of them, they're all hilarious. But I think it takes a certain attitude to be in politics, especially at such a high level, to think, I am what is going to fix this place. I, they, what they need is me. Because I'm the best. And, and I think what's so funny is that we, as people, kind of buy into that a little bit. And listen, whatever side of the equation you're on, I don't really care. It really, genuinely doesn't, I, it doesn't, whatever, that's you. But we do that because we think that things on this earth are going to give us restoration and hope and fix everything. But the reality is, what David says here is that the good shepherd restores, he brings shub into your life and into your heart. And so we say these things, like we want, when we think about turning back from and returning to what was, like, I want to feel. Anyone, like, don't raise your hand, but you might, like, I, I want to feel. I feel numb. Like, I want to feel again. I want to be passionate again. I want to trust again. Because perhaps your trust with someone that is important to you has been broken. 
And you so want to get there, but you just can't figure out what it is. Or I want to feel like what I'm doing matters. Purpose. Man, we live in a, in a society where purpose has gone by the wayside. Because you know what? We've sought security instead of purpose. We've sought stuff instead of life and thought that stuff was going to give us the purpose that we needed. Maybe you want to know that what you're investing yourself into is going to matter and make the world better. You want to feel that again. Maybe it's your marriage that you need restoration. Maybe it's your children that are absolutely crazy and you just need to hope that they're going to be okay. Or your job is wearing you down and you're tired and broken and you're sick of it. Or money is is not piling up but bills are and you don't know how there's going to be an answer. Whatever it might be, the thing that God does, that this good shepherd does, is he brings restoration to what we hope in so that those things can become what they should be. Hope. In fact, just a few psalms over in Psalm 30 is another psalm of David in verse 11. And he says, you have, turned, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Well, what, he, what he says is that the idea of the sackcloth is that whenever in the Old Testament you were having a tough day or morning, you would literally put on a sackcloth, like if you consider like potato sack almost, you would dump ashes over your head and you would rip it. And then you would walk around like that. Now I know fashion is cyclical, but I haven't seen that come back yet. But it was literally you showing and telling everyone else that like, hey, I'm struggling, I'm hurting. There's something going on. Like what is happening in my life is bad and I need help. And yet David, in just a few psalms over, says, you, God, have loosed my, have removed my sackcloth, have allowed me to step out of it, and you have clothed me with gladness, with joy. You've turned my mourning into dancing. See, how many of you guys, and and me even as well this morning, are waiting on God to take your stress, your grief, your failure, your frustration, or maybe right now with the way the world is, your fear? How many of us are waiting for God to take that insecurity? Whatever it is. Anger, frustration, resentment, y'all fill in the blank. How many of us are waiting and hoping that God will take that and turn it into joy? And maybe you're tired because you've been waiting on God to do it over and over and over again, but here's what you've done instead. You maybe thought you were, but instead you're going, hey, God, I'm going to hold on to this and just, you know, you fix it, but I'm going to control it. I'm going to hold on so that I can feel like I did something with it. And then when God doesn't answer, when God doesn't move, you're like, well, God, why didn't you fix this thing? It's because you didn't let go of it. Because you didn't put it down and walk away. When Jesus says, come to the cross like, and, and allow him to take your burden, it is not, hey, I'm going to give you this and hold on to it and drag you back down. Jesus says, come to me, give me your burden, walk away and walk with me in it. But you know what we're really bad at? We're really bad at taking our things and holding them there and just waiting for them to move and hope that we'll move too. But that's not what the gospel is. The gospel says to go and put it in front of the feet of God and walk away. To be restored, to shub, to turn back from. And that, that is the problem. But it's also the solution. That's also the goodness of what God is. Is that he takes what needs restoration 
and he gives it to us, but we have to give it to him first. You got to leave it there. Listen, it's akin to like my kids, man. Yesterday I painted my daughter's room, which I know, don't clap for me. Um, I'm not a great dad. It took me like four months to actually get it done. Um, and we ran out of paint, so I have more to do, but it's not much. Um, some of you guys are like, wow, what a great, no, Mm-mm. mess that up. But I did a terrible thing, horrible thing. Uh, for Christmas, my daughter got a makeup set that was in a butterfly case, plastic, hollow. I, I think whoever created this thing made it just so that they would know, like, hey, some dad's going to break this and destroy their daughter's heart, right? And then because I think I bought it at Ross or TJ Maxx, you know, those are real easy to find seconds of, <laughs> right? So I step on this, this little animal thinking it's going to be okay, and under it is back half of the plastic butterfly case. And to make it even better, my daughter had just come in the room asking to help paint and heard the shattering of the plastic, watched my foot go through it, and immediately fell apart, just on the ground, sobbing. I said, I didn't realize what happened. I said, honey, what's wrong? And she goes, You destroyed my butterfly. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) No. So I told her, global warming. Sorry. Um, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. No, so so I, I you know tried to fix it, and I said, well, honey, like l- let Daddy fix it, and she was just holding it, and I grabbed the main part of it, and she was holding this piece, and I said, honey, I I can fix it if you just give it to me, and she goes, my butterfly. <laughs> I said, sweetheart, Daddy can fix it. Daddy can fix it. I, I just need it. My butterfly, you broke it. And I said, hon, I said, give me the other part of the butterfly. Daddy can fix it and make it better. And in that moment, I was like, holy moly, that's what tomorrow's preaching is about. Because that's what we do. Like, we, we hold on to these things that bring us grief and pain, and we're going, God, fix this, fix this. And he's going, well, give it to me. Give it to me. I'm the good shepherd. I restore your soul. I redeem what is broken. I return things to the form that they should be which is your soul and in step with the Lord. We hold on to it, and we just scream and yell, and what God is saying is, leave it with me. I can fix it. Because God is in the restoration and the passion business. If you follow Jesus, your shepherd is in the business of taking your soul and restoring it back to its purpose, and restoring you back to hope. Restoring you back to trust. When your marriage is hard, when your relationships are broken, when your bills are greater than your budget, when your anxiety is greater than you can actually get out of bed and stand against, God is in the business of restoring it. But you have to give it to him. You can't can't hold on to it. Because you know what happens? Fear happens, and then we become paralyzed as people. We absolutely fall apart. But God says to us, you're not alone. I'm walking with you and I'm restoring the depths of who you are, but all you need to do, church, is trust 
the good shepherd to lead the flock well. The second part, he leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me. The shepherd is a good God. He's a great God. Here's what makes great gods. This is the same for the guys who are on the rivers as it is people who are walking through forests and trees as it is for leaders as it is for the Lord. It's three things. The first is that they know the path to take. They know the path. Listen, last week we talked about the sheep and the shepherd and going in the green pastures and walking the hills and how the shepherds actually have to go and find the correct hills based on the weather and based on wind and things like that so that the sheep can go and find food to eat. If you were here last week, if not, it's online. You can go listen to it. It was really awesome. I got saved twice. Um, Just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. Trying to see if we're awake. But no, the good shepherd, great gods, they know the path to take. Listen, if you are fearing trusting the Lord, I can't make you trust him more. All I can do is tell you that he knows the path for you to take and that he will keep you safe. That's what his word says. All all that I have left is is to trust God. That's it. I have nothing left. I have nothing else. Look at the world today. Everything that you think you have has been threatened. Everything. Everything you think you have has been threatened by a virus, by sickness, going around and saying, if you don't close in, if you don't change everything about you, this will kill you. That's what, that's what we're learning if you watch the news. But the shepherd knows the path to take. Because the second thing is that the shepherd knows the dangerous places and the secure areas as well. Listen, the good shepherd cannot be good if he leads you where there is no nutrients, where there is no shelter, where there is no peace. He's not a good shepherd then. I'm not a good father if I tell my kids, like, hey, there's a playground Go sit out there, sleep there, and hope you make it through. Doesn't make me a good dad. Makes me a weirdly angry one. I don't, I don't know why I said that. But, but the good shepherd knows where the danger is and knows where security lies. And here's what he says. He says it lies in him and following him and listening to him and trusting him. But again, what do we like to do? We like to hold on to that peace. And the third thing the good shepherd, that great guides know, is that they know the destination. They know where they're going. You know why Jesus was so easy to say things like, I'm going ahead of you, and like talk about the kingdom and heaven, and that he was going to prepare a place? Do you know why he probably knew that? Because he knew what it was, because he had been there, because he knew the destination. See, if we actually trusted in the gospel enough and trusted Jesus enough that that was real and that we could bank everything on it, I think we would probably live a lot differently. I think we would give a lot differently. I think we would serve a lot differently. I think we would love people. I think we would speak to people. You know what, here, I think we would maybe, I don't know, talk differently on Facebook to each other. Crazy idea. I have the joy of being the moderator of the Traveler's Rest Residence page. 
lucked my way into that one. And you wouldn't believe the way people speak to each other, even in a town of 5,000 people. It's amazing. And I'm like, guys, there's only one Walmart in town. You're probably going to see them at some point. Right? Like, I got news for you. Everyone will be at the market in a month. You might run into that guy that you cussed out. It's crazy. But see, I think if we actually understood the depth and reality of heaven, that we might actually live a little differently, that we might actually trust the shepherd, that we might actually put our treasure in him. <clears throat> but that's the beauty of, of a good God, a great God, is that they know where they should go, and they know that where they can get stuck, and they know how to get through the most dangerous places. And the good shepherd is walking with you in that. The third part says, in the path of righteousness. This is really cool. I, I really enjoyed this part. Um, so I'm going to try not to talk super long about it, but here we go. When it says in paths of righteousness, the path that actually is David uses here is talking about the clear path in the circle of camp. So back in the day, <clears throat> when they were getting ready to fight a battle, they would go and have an encampment, and they would take all of the big, strong fortified things, they put them around, and everybody would be in the middle, where they'd stay safe, where they'd stay secure. Because if they got attacked in the middle of the night, they had to at least get through that, encamp that circle of encampment first. And so when David is talking about this, he's saying the clear path is actually a place of rest where you are secure, as if you were in the center of camp. Isn't that cool? A place of security and safety from failing and falling. So when David writes a psalm and he says, you lead me in paths of righteousness, he's actually talking about a path that is safe and secure, that you cannot be removed from and destroyed from. In the same way that Hebrews would, or Israel would wrap themselves in the middle of a secure and fortified camp while they're in the middle of the desert fighting wars. So the picture that David uses is that. He says, listen, as you follow the good shepherd, he is protecting you. Now, even in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, that you are safe and secure in the center of camp. So then we go, what is righteousness? This is path of righteousness, a security of righteousness. That same word is actually used in Leviticus, which is everyone's favorite book of the Bible, right? Who doesn't love Leviticus? Anybody? Anybody just say, you know what, I want to be with the Lord this morning. I'm just really feeling like somewhere in the middle of Le Leviticus. I want to read about some oxen, how to build boats, temples. Sounds like fun, right? Anybody in the middle of Leviticus right now in their Bible study? Nobody? Interesting. Sinners. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but it's really cool, actually, in Leviticus 19, uh, they're talking about dealing with foreigners who are coming in and exchanging money and goods, and the way that they would balance them out. So people in the Old Testament, I know this is going to blow your mind, because it's so different from today, but people in the Old Testament would actually try to cheat other people. Isn't that wild? So they would take these scales, where they would measure one good against another for money, and they would actually put them out of balance so they could get more stuff for less money and cheat people, mainly foreigners who would come in and didn't know their laws, and they would cheat them in order to get more goods for a cheaper price. It's crazy that that would ever exist in the world, right? People cheating each other. 
wild. But when David talks about righteousness, he's actually, it's the same word that's used in this when, when God commanded the people to use scales that were fair and evenly distributed so that they would treat foreigners and people in their, in their land the same with fairness. Isn't that interesting? The righteous way. In Isaiah 41, he talks about righteousness being a covenant keeping. A covenant. So when you keep the vows of your marriage, you are acting in righteousness. Or when you keep the covenant of contracts you sign, you are practicing righteousness. When you go to school and you say, I will not do these things, and you don't do them, you are practicing righteousness. It's not legalism. It's not salvation by what you do. It's just being a person of your word. Righteousness. Doing what you're supposed to do when you say you're going to do it. Crazy that the Old Testament actually has things that apply so clearly to life today, isn't it? Who would have thought? A famous pastor recently said that we should unhitch the Old Testament from the New, and I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because the Old Testament speaks the glory to the goodness of following who God is and restoring us back to the way we were supposed to be. Not by law, not by rule, but by harnessing all that Jesus and the kingdom are together and helping us to be restored back to who we were so that this land can get better until we get to eternity. Lastly, this, he leads me in paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. I want to tell you one of my favorite stories in the book of Genesis. I just think it's, it's in Genesis 15, if you're following along. I don't, know if, I don't think I put it in the notes on the app, um, so you just have to write it down or put it in the notes section that I wrote in there. I did great. Genesis 15, verse 1 through 15. When, when God says that he is going to get glory, that he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, it really messes up the Church of America. Do you know Why? Because some of the most popular preaching right now is about how God is working for you. And that is terrifying. That's, that's why we sang the song Waymaker. It's a beautiful song. I know it's popular right now. But the reason that, we, that I really forced it into today is because it's a reminder that when you have nothing left, when you've realized that God is not about you being good, but about him being God and us benefiting from that, it changes our perspective because he is the waymaker. He is the promise keeper. He is the one making the way, and it's just by his righteousness and his acts, and we kind of get to ride the coattails of goodness in because he loves us. And in Genesis 15, we get a beautiful view of that because God makes a covenant with Abraham. Now, I want to I read the first half of it, and then I'll kind of explain what's going on, okay? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir, <clears throat> excuse me, and the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir, meaning that he didn't have a son, so one of his servants would have to come and take the rest of his family on. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number of stars if you're able to number them. He said to them, so your offspring shall be. 
And he believed the Lord and he counted to him his righteousness. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out from Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over the other. So to give you a view, Abram says, Listen, you've told me this promise. You've said that you'll restore my house. You'll give me what I need that when I'm gone, my, the name shall continue, your blessing shall continue. And God says, I'm not going to give you a son. I'm going to give you all of this offspring. It's more innumerable than the stars in the sky. And Abram says, well, how is this to be? How am I supposed to know this? How can you prove this to me? And God says, bring all these animals, cut them in half, and put one half on the left, one half on the right. Now, this was called a covenant in the Old Testament. Literally, what people would do is that they would make a covenant together. They would take an animal, single animal usually, they cut it in half, they put one side on the left, one side on the right, and then the two people who are making a covenant would walk into the middle of those together in order to say, if I break this covenant, allow me to be like this. Cut in half, destroyed, and useless. That's a strong word. That's a strong word. Man, one of the most popular phone calls we make is, how can I get out of this phone contract by paying a penalty? And these guys are saying, if I break this covenant with you, allow me to be like this. Continuing on, verse 12. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They'll be servants, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I'll bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, and the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down, so God makes the promise... When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. So God puts Abram to sleep, gives him the promise and says that even though you will go through trouble, you will be restored. Your family will have hope and I will be with you. And Abram, you will not have to feel any of that. You will die old and in peace. And God has him asleep and God himself alone passes between the animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land. And he lists a whole bunch of people, and he says, today, I make this covenant with you. Because here's the deal. God actually is who he says he is. And whatever you're battling with right now that you need hope and peace and comfort and grace from, God has already gone in between and said, I will not break my covenant with you even when you break it with me. Even when you fail, even when you falter, even when you mess up, God will not fail you. Because he's a good shepherd and because he is interested in the sake of his name. Because God cares for you but he cares about the glory of his name. And you get to be a co-heir and enjoy eternity and peace that comes from that. See, the name of the shepherd is given glory in how he leads and cares for his flock. 
What makes a good shepherd is by watching what happens to his sheep. So it makes a good leader. It's what makes someone powerful and worthwhile of following. And God is only as good as he leads his shepherd, as he leads his sheep to be. If he was a bad shepherd, he wouldn't be worth trusting. But my fear is many of us have fallen out of trusting God because we went to bad places and experienced bad leaders who promoted themselves as people who follow God. And when all that fell apart, we attributed that to the good shepherd. But here's what God does. God is in the business of restoration and hope. And if you've had that experience, I'm sorry. But the good shepherd will not let you down. Because it matters. You matter to him. Because how you are speaks to how good he really is. And if you're worried that God is going to fail you and leave you, and that God is going to kick you to the side and say you're not worth it, you need to know that that is an incapability, uh, part of his character that's incapable of falling like that. He cannot. He will not because he cannot. That's why he's willing, as Matthew 18 says, when one sheep is lost, to put the 99 together in a flock and go find the one because you are worth that. Sometimes the sheep will wander off the path, but all they need is to hear the voice of the shepherd because it's louder and more distinct than that of the roaring enemy. And if you're here and you are not hearing the the volume of the shepherd's voice, my encouragement to you would be to do that today. So we're going to end with two questions that I'm going to ask and I want you to answer alone by yourself or maybe with your spouse later over lunch or something. Two questions that matter more than anything. Here they are. First is, what do I need in order to have my soul restored? I can't answer that for you. But as a shepherd is in the business of restoration, ask. Because he cares for his sheep. He will listen to you. He will hear you. The book of Hebrews says that you can go to him into the throne room of Jesus in your time of need, in your time of needing grace and mercy, and he will give it to you. The Gospel of Matthew says, what what good father, when their son asks for bread, gives them a snake instead? He hears you. So ask. And after that, what's my next step? My next step is to blank. I don't know what that is for you. And you know, like, I know it's popular for pastors to fill in the blank and say, do this, sign up for a group, start giving, start, I'm not doing any of that. Maybe that's, maybe I should do that. I don't know, I'm not going to. You figure that out. But my encouragement is when God answers, follow. Because the voice of the shepherd is good and he is in the business of restoring and he knows what is best for you. Let's pray. Jesus, you're good. You are in the business of taking care of us. You're in the business of healing. You're in the business of hope. And Father, we can trust your leadership. We can trust that when you say you're going to do something that you will, because you are exactly who you say you are. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us back to these paths of righteousness. 
I pray that you would allow us, because of your goodness and your grace in our lives, to deal with each other fairly. To love and to serve each other in kindness and grace. To model the gospel back to your city so that they would hear it, see it, and they would know you. God, that you would take this place and it would be a place of hope and peace and comfort. It would be a place of restoration that in this room people would find restoration for their souls. That they would find answers to questions that have harmed them, that they would find a place that they can truly leave those things that are hurting them, those fears, those anxieties, that they would find restoration for relationships, that they'd find peace when things are uncertain, and that they would find it here so that they would know the gospel and see you work in their lives. So Lord, as we go out this week, in a week that would call us to be paralyzed in fear, that instead we would recognize the hope that is in you and you alone. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.